Captain, we're directly in the path of a small asteroid. Should we move to avoid? Uh, do the Janeway protocol. Uh, are you sure, sir? Yes? Ah! Collision alert, sir! The kindergarten on deck eight! It's gone! Uh... Ah! Ah! No, 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 now the pre-K is gone! All the ship's children have been ejected into space! All those kids? Freeze program! In thousands of simulations, that's literally never happened before. Let's try another one, on a ship with even more children! Welcome to Deep Space Pride, a gay Star Trek podcast. My name is Mike, and I'm one of your hosts for this journey. And with me is my co-host, Johnson. Johnson, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. It's a little warm today, so, you know, it's not my ideal, like, ambient temperature. I'm cooling down right now, but otherwise I'm fine. Very good. Yes. Yeah. yeah. How about you? Um, how have you been today? Uh, pretty good. I uh, went out and got some foam board for my pin display that I am building. So Arts and crafts. Arts and crafts. Yes, uh, I love arts and crafts. I was going to start it before we recorded, but then I realized I did not have enough time. So wow. I set up for our podcasting instead of uh, cutting some foam board and putting it I mean, together the pins are not gonna go anywhere so. they're not no but i'm super excited now that i got the frame so i'm excited to put that together um so i went out and got a few supplies for that mm-hmm. um and had ramen for lunch which was um which is a favorite of mine i don't think i've had ramen since the beginning of the pandemic it's been a while oh, wow. well happened. i've made my own ramen which is not the same no i'm sure no, absolutely not you don't make your own pork bone broth, I would imagine. No, I think that's like a whole process. I'm sure it is. It's like, yeah, it's legit a process. Yeah. And I don't have patience for that shit. So. <laughs> well, for me, ramen is, I love ramen, but I love a good tonkatsu broth. So mm-hmm. really, really important piece of of ramen for me is the broth. So. And that's a... That's where a lot of the work is. Right, yes. Like, it's not yeah. hard to do the noodles, you know, right. chop up some mushrooms, bake the pork, or whatever. The pork katsu actually takes some time, too. I think it's, like, slow. Slow cook, cook it, it or something. Yeah. 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 So, right. yeah. So, ramen today, arts and crafts, and podcasting. And then I've got a few other things. And I'm cleaning up the office a little bit. So, productive. Of, productive yeah. weekend. Yeah. yeah. How about you? What did you do today? Uh, you were outside, obviously. So. I went, yes, I went outside and it was, it was hard because it was hot and humid. I just saw a friend for brunch and then we played this board game. My, some friends of mine and I myself were really into board games. So we played this board game called Forts and you each, basically each person has like a fort. As in like, you know, like when you're a kid, you build a fort. Yes. It's like that. You're like, you and your friends are building a fort, and the, the purpose of the game is you want to build the best fort 
out of pillows and blankets and stuff. Kind of. It doesn't get that in detail. I mean, like oh, at the okay. end of the day, you just like you you want to upgrade your four, and then whoever has whoever gets the most events for that equates to like victory points and stuff like that. And then, okay, yeah. So and I won. It was my you first won. time playing, uh, and I won. All right. And this is a legitimate board game. Yeah. No, it's a legit board game. Okay. Well, the last, I would say, five or ten years, board games have gone through a renaissance. And then there are a lot of board games that are started through, like, Kickstarter and Indiegogo and stuff like that. Yeah. So now there's just, like, this whole thing with board games. And it has definitely exploded since the start of the pandemic because people are inside. and you know, Is this an online board game or is this a... No. Like, it's legit, like a board game oh okay yeah. all right i have so many board games you don't i don't think i've ever even showed you like no, I not so, all of them yeah. i have like cabinets full of board oh games. wow yeah and you're worried about the 20 pins that i have and thinking that that's an excessive amount one might say that well uh, i suppose those in, those in glass houses shouldn't throw the first stone well, I, do think, like, I do think that board games are conducive to group activities. So it is a little bit like, there is a utilitarian element to board games versus something that's just on display, I would say. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. But they do take up space, don't get me wrong. Yes. Significantly more than my pins, by the way. Yes, I have have two like full cabinets of board games. Next uh, next time you come over, I'll show you and you'll be like, that's a lot, that's a lot of stuff. Yes. Um, Uh, Definitely more space than some pins. It will totally displace my opinion of your essentialism lifestyle where you're yeah, just, no, you're, just I mean, good at, you're just good at hiding your stuff, apparently. I am very good at hiding my stuff. That's true. <laughs> yes. But there's a system for everything. Of course there is. Yeah. There's a yeah. spreadsheet in your head for everything. <laughs> I mean, not for my board games, but there probably should be. A PowerPoint presentation or something. I don't yes, know. absolutely. And you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of star trek so why don't you start out what did you star trek this week yeah so i think since the last time we spoke um so i did two major things i finally finished the motion picture i mean like and this is for those of you that have not heard the podcast i have seen the motion picture before so don't freak out this is this is my second viewing but it's been i think over two decades so it's been a while while since i've seen the motion picture okay and upon second viewing i realized why i haven't revisited the film (laughs) i'll be honest but look i've i've seen other tos films multiple times i've seen i've seen the voyage home i would say probably 10 times i've seen undiscovered country 40 50 times you know but Rewatching the motion picture, I was just like, I I don't need to see this for another twenty years. It was just, um, you know, it's uh, it's a little slow. You know, you also finished it recently. I did. Um, I agree. It is slow. Uh, there are some. There, it's yeah. It's a. It's also um, just the pacing. I don't know what it was, right. and I realized that obviously they were coming back from a long hiatus of. You know, the show's been off the air for a while. They kept, you know, the franchise was alive, but they weren't necessarily producing anything. Um, but I just thought the pace of it, it could have been like a 40-minute episode. Like, there were just long segments where people are just kind of looking at each other and kind of staring into space. Um, and I'm just, 
I'm just like, I don't understand why it's taking so long to do this thing. Well, I, think, I wonder. Continue. Oh, no. Uh, like, Articulate your thoughts. No, I, I'm wondering if it is uh, kind of a reflection of 2001, A Space Odyssey. In that sense, I wonder. Oh, if you know what? There are some 2001 Space Odyssey vibes. Yeah. So Even I'm wondering if the it's, effects and such. I don't know the time frames that these were both produced. I don't remember when 2001. Uh, I'm going to look it, it up. I think it might have been actually around the same time period. Uh, actually, no. It's a 10 years before. It's from 1968, which is interesting. What? But essentially, I did think that like one of my biggest issues with the film is its pacing. Like, I thought that it was very slow. I think it was overly deliberate. And there are just large segments where people are just kind of staring at each other or staring at the view screen. And you're seeing, you're looking at the view screen and then you go back to their, their reaction of looking at the view screen, which isn't much. And then you go back to the view screen and I'm like, what is happening right now? And then there are just odd, there are odd moments where, yeah, like, you know, they're trying to go to warp within the stars, I, I, you know, another thing I never, and this is one thing I'm very confused about after rewatching different shows, different eras, is it safe to go to warp in a star system or not? I have no idea. I do think they go to warp pretty quickly after they leave dock, like space dock or whatever, or. Yeah, they get out beyond Jupiter because that's on, on screen with the moons. So they do, yes, zoom, so they do zoom by that. And, so and then they try to go to warp and they're like, Warp point five. I'm like, what is that? And then um, they don't go to warp successfully because there's some calibrations off. And then they go into a wormhole. I'm like, what is happening right now? And then there's an asteroid in the wormhole, and there's the big to do with this with this asteroid. And and then I, I don't know. There were just odd things happening that weren't really. I'm like, what is the, First of all, why is this happening? But second of all, like, how is this happening? Um, and there's like making shit up as they go along. I don't know. But uh, it didn't really, like, for example, the whole wormhole scene didn't really do much for the story. Like, I think it was supposed to art, like, show that Kirk wasn't, he was still kind of, you know, getting his feet wet after being right. you know, in the for a while. Yeah. But I was like, that was a long segue to something, you know, very random. Well, that. At this point. Yeah, well, that scene sort of brings up two things. One, it definitely shows the conflict between Decker and, and Kirk and kind of the new captain versus the old captain. And then the other thing, too, is it allows for Spock to join the crew, right? So that's the other piece. So it brings Spock into into the... I guess, but they didn't have the to story. go into the wormhole for Spock to join the crew. I mean, they, they exited the wormhole and then, and then they met Spock and Spock came on the Vulcan shuttle or whatever. Yeah. Well, the other thing too is Scotty had kind of uh, foreshadowed this. I mean, he, he said that they weren't ready and this new engine wasn't tested. So I think it's a, you know, a fair, fair assumption that something, you know, if you were... Something would happen. Something I think my happen. issue with it is we've never seen that happen before. I was like, why is this wormhole? Like, why did it generate a wormhole? Right. And it was, it's, it's just a long, like, it's a long sidetrack. You know, um, so anyway, like yeah. literally, like it could probably the the whole film could have been boiled down to like maybe a slightly, it's not even a two parter. It's like maybe a slightly long, like 50, 50 minute episode or something. 
So, um, yeah. So I so I want I finished up the motion picture. Yeah. And I also uh, started to do a rewatch of Enterprise. Wow. And I told you this, but I've never seen Enterprise in HD before. Because Enterprise premiered when I was in college, and I literally had a 15-inch, like, cathode ray tube TV or whatever it was. <laughs> um, and it was, like, fine, you know? Right, um, yeah, sure. And then, I mean, Enterprise had four seasons, so it finished up, like, a year after I graduated, like, in 2005 or something like that, mm-hmm. like, yep. you know, wrapped up. And even after college, I did have a TV, like a, you know, decent-sized TV, but it wasn't HD. HD TVs were not commonplace back then. And, yeah, no, I, I just rewatched Broken Bow yesterday on my 75-inch HD TV. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. I mean, like, it's not the same level of quality as HD is nowadays. There's a little bit of graininess. Um, but I'm like... This is actually like a very different viewing experience than I remember. And then there were a lot of things about the Enterprise premiere that I did not remember because it's been so long. Well, going on to the HD thing, I mean, HD back then was uh, 720p. So that right, was considered right. HD. You're watching it. But it's, 70- also, but it's also like 16 by 9, you know, like every all the, right, yeah. all the shows up to them have been 4 by 3. Right, yeah. So the perspective is also different, you know, taste of the yeah. full screen. Yeah, you know, you know, the rewatch of DS Nine. I've re- I've done some rewatch of some TNG episodes, even some Voyager episodes, and they're all four by three. Right. And Enterprise was the first one that was widescreen, and I was like, "What is this?" Because all my, you know, I definitely watched it in four by three, and I was yeah. like, "Whoa, this is a very different viewing experience." Um, yeah. But uh, no, there's so much, so much I did not remember. I mean, about the premiere. I remember the temporal Cold War nonsense. That yeah. I remember. But there were, lot, there were many other things that I did not remember. And it was actually, actually kind of nice. It, was, it wasn't a, you know, I, I thought it was actually like after rewatching that, I, I thought that was, it was a pretty strong premiere. Okay. Yeah. Because what you didn't have, you remember? What were some of the things that, you know? I didn't really remember a lot of the, you know, I, I know that it was like a very critical, but I if you were to ask me about Broken Bow, I really wouldn't have, I remembered the Suleban. I remember that, you know, you had a Klingon basically visiting Earth. Um, But I didn't remember a lot of the human Vulcan tensions that were very central to, uh, I would say the first season of Enterprise. Because the whole point is after Zephyr and Crockton's warp ship, you know, that all happened and they had their first contact with the Vulcans. Apparently, after that, like the Vulcans really held the humans back from venturing space, and I didn't, you know, a lot of that I just didn't remember. Um, so it was like, you know, this is basically like ninety years after Zephyr and Cochran's um, test drive, and this is the first time that they are really letting, like, the Vulcans are kind of letting people from Earth like do their own thing and kind of forge their own path, and that's a big, that's a big component of. The, the overall narrative, which I totally forgot about. So, and then, yeah, I, the Temporal War, Temporal Cold War nonsense, I was like, all right, it's fine. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's so complicated. And I actually reread Suffer Memory Alpha, and I was like, this shit still doesn't make any sense. It's fine. 
Well, I think it's two things. It's a lost opportunity and it's an unfinished storyline, really. It is unfinished. They just kind of like, Manny Cotto just like wrapped it up and he was like, I'm moving on to like different stories because this is not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, and then he did his own thing for season four. Right. Which was, season four was, in my opinion, like, I don't know if everyone who is a fan of Enterprise agrees with this, but I do think like season four was the best because they did like all these like throwback episodes, like fan service episodes. They did like, you know, Mirror Universe episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, It was more fun. uh, And I thought overall more successful than uh, some of the earlier episodes anyway. I thought the Zindi arc was actually not bad, but uh, I don't know. It's been a while. I I shouldn't even speak to it because I'll probably just say something incorrect. (laughs) But anyway, so yes, that's what um, I've started. I'm trying to remember if there's anything else. I think that's mostly it. I'm looking at my notes because... I'm trying to remember if there's anything else. I don't think so. Not in terms of Star Trek anyway. Oh, okay. I'm, still, I'm still on the return. I'm still working my way through the return. I'm like uh, 60, 70% through it. Okay. So you're continuing yes. to read a little bit. That's good. I have yes. not, well, I haven't read. I've listened, but we'll get to that in a second. Yes. But I'm done. What about you? What have you Star Trekked since the last time we spoke? So the last time we spoke on camera, on Audio is, uh, I, I had watched the motion picture. I'd finished it. But uh, most recently, over this past week, I've been watching a lot of Voyager. Um, mm-hmm. So I went back and watched Scorpion parts one and two, which yes, is yes. very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then before I moved on to the second episode of season four, I, or maybe I, no, I think I did. I don't remember which order I think I may have watched the second episode um, where Seven is kind of revealed in her new outfit and things like that. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. So I didn't even talk about that. So in Enterprise, if you remember in Broken Bow, so, you know, like, T'Pol is basically the Seven of Enterprise, right? Right, yes, yes. And then there's this whole scene when she and Trip are in the decon chamber uh, and they're rubbing, yeah. like... <laughs> I don't know, the, it, it's like some sort of like antibiotic or, you know, whatever, cream all over each other. And it's so comical because they, you know, they had that in, I remember they had that in the, that scene in the teaser. Um, but I'm re-watching this episode. And I, this, the only reason why I'm bringing it up because Seven was brought on for the sex factor, right? The sex right, the yeah. factor for yeah. the end. Right. Um, and they're having this whole conversation as they are rubbing this stuff, like this oil mm-hmm. all over each other. Like yeah. it's a serious conversation. Like they're talking about, they're talking about what happened on the planet they were on. They're talking like, you know, Trip is talking about, complaining about like how the Vulcans like help, help them back as humans. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're legit having like a discussion slash debate but it's so hard to take seriously because the camera is like zooming on the small of T'Pol's back as Trip is rubbing like that area. Like it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Like I was like, this is ridiculous. It is so funny. It is such, and I've complained to you about how I was rewatching TOS, right? And right, yeah. So much of TOS is a product of that era. Like, you know, maybe it wasn't, it didn't seem sexist back then, but watching it now, it seems ridiculous, right? Yeah. I think in the same way, like watching like some of these scenes, whether it would be, you know, early, you know, mid, you know, mid 
third four season Voyager or you know Enterprise and how T'Pol was really sexualized um, is really like a product of the late '90s, early 2000s when it was that like FHM, like you know Playboy kind of era where like you know that was fine and that would be kind of problematic nowadays in like the absolutely era. Yeah. you know it's yeah, just so right. fascinating. But yeah. sorry, continue your thought process. No, I mean, that's that's a really good point. Yeah, that's, uh, but yeah, so bringing Seven on was obviously a um, a reason to up the sex factor and yeah. say goodbye to Jessica Leon, who played- Jennifer Ke- Leon. Oh, Jennifer, sorry. <laughs> Jennifer Leon as Cass and- uh, Who I actually really liked. And then she went crazy. Yeah, you know, I think, and so the second episode really dealt with her, her and Seven, and kind yeah, of the gift, the gift, but also yeah. you know Kess's evolution, which you know I think was kind of nice to see them do something with her. Uh, I don't like what they did. Did you did you ever watch the follow up to that when Fury when she came back? I've seen it before. I have not watched it yet. I'm kind of making my way through okay. season four. So okay, um, but I did go back. I don't like where she ended up as a character. Because she okay. came back and then she was really angry that the Voyager crew allowed her to leave. And then right. she like tried to kill everyone. Yeah, I do vaguely remember that. And it's it's curious because she really chose to leave. It really wasn't... Wait, she did? I thought they had to get rid of someone because they had oh, to... Oh, no, no, no. The character cast. Oh, yes. Yes, not Jennifer Leon. No. Yeah, not Jennifer Leon. So, yeah. So that that I think is part of it but so well, she also couldn't help it because she was like you know she was ascending to a higher plane she was blowing a voyager she kind of had to go right exactly so that's why i don't i'd have to i have to go back i have to go forward in voyager and watch fury and just see what i what i think, I think that's a season thing. five or six episode okay um sure. it was a while yeah but i did go back to season three momentarily and watch unity because obviously that had a huge part in um Right. The finale, or the finale to the finale, uh, two-part season opener, right? Because that's why Chakotay was able so, to kind of like connect with Seven. Yes, exactly. So yeah. um, that was helpful to kind of see that because I didn't remember. I remembered at the time. I I have seen it before, but I didn't remember the context mm-hmm. of it all. So I didn't remember that they saved him by doing that. They saved him, Um and also that they took him over, essentially, and right. uh, had him, you know, fire on his shipmates and uh, things like that. And um, so, so yeah, so I went back and watched that. Then I moved forward. And it, uh, so that's three episodes of Voyager. I haven't watched three episodes of Voyager in a long time, or four, mm-hmm. actually, actually. So then I jumped ahead to Scientific Method because it was the one where they were having aliens operate on. That them. was a great episode. That really was. Yeah. And you then know, Jane Wee was like, F this shit. I'm taking the ship into this binary star system. Yeah, right. Or, or no, binary pulsars, right? There yeah, binary pulsars. pulsars, yeah. Like, we're all going to die together, bitches. Yeah, get yeah. off my ship. And, yeah, I do uh, like it when Jane Wee gets all hardcore like that. And, and she's like, oh, and you're in hell, which I know you also yeah, want. Yeah, so time's I, up. Like she has these like one-liners. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are so, memorable. So my two observations from watching this this group of Voyagers. So that's about seven episodes. One is that Janeway is so consistently written, 
so consistently acted and so consistently just played through through this the these episodes yeah you know i there i'm wondering if and i again i've I've obviously watched voyager before and now i'm going Mm -hmm. back and watching some select episodes but i'm just wondering like what kind of character development has been done with with janeway because she's so consistent what do you mean what do you mean she, I mean, I, you know, there was no difference in her attitude or who she was in any of those episodes, you mm. know, so she's just very consistent, you know, whereas Picard, I mean, I mean, maybe Picard and, you know, I mean, Kirk was kind of a, a rogue at times. Um, I guess Picard was kind of consistent, but. Yeah, know, I think they were consistent. I mean, like, you know, Janeway for me. I have mixed feelings about Janeway, and I know I had several conversations about this. I feel that sometimes she's written a little bit too earnestly, where mm-hmm. she, you know, you have you have these moments where she's like super, she gets on a soapbox, or she's kind of put into onto this weird pedestal by the writers. Honestly, like yeah. I was watching that scene in. Um, scorpion where she's quoting these other captains about the borg oh yeah, right, yeah. picard yep. and chakotay is like oh my god you sounded just like picard right there i'm like no she didn't bitch she did yeah. not sound like picard you're just saying that you know like but that is right false. right yeah you know and but she has like sometimes like really earnest really sentimental moments but then if you f you know if you f with her it's all over you know like yeah well even when hard- chakotay was all hardcore yeah, she even went yeah. kind of hardcore with Chakotay when he overrode her orders, even though she was in down part two of Scorpion. Yeah, in part two yeah. of Scorpion, she was which, not. She was displeased. Yeah, very displeased. Um, yeah. So you know, it's, I do think there's a difference between that, like when she's when she's dealing with her crew versus like you know an alien threat. You know. Yeah, and obviously in Year of Hell, you kind of see that at several points. Like she gets very like on her high horse. The Doctor relieves her of command. She's like, "Who's gonna stop me?" Like, there's no security team. There's no brig. Like, it's right. just very brash. Uh, you know, like do whatever she wants. And I get it. You know, she's the only captain in the Delta Quadrant. She's you know she's kind of the the admiral. At, she has no one to report up to like she's on her own. So, um, so it's just a very consistent portrayal, I think, um, mm. which isn't a bad thing. It's just like, is this all her character is like, you know, and I don't, I don't really enjoy hmm. the, the, do you mean like she, do you feel like she doesn't grow as a character over seven? Yeah. Seasons? Yeah. I don't, oh, I that's mean, your point. That's my point. She's not really growing. She's consistent, but I, I don't mean, know what think... new things, you know, where's, where's her growth? Where's she, where's she opening up? I don't know. Like, I, I think she's very hard on being I'm right. And she she does listen mm-hmm. to people, but she usually sticks to her guns all the time. She doesn't really change her mind. She listens, but she still kind of leads from the front and being like, this is how we're doing it, folks. Like, yeah, so that's that's my struggle with that is it's it's a it's a very and granted, I you know, I think that the situation is different her being in the delta quadrant all on her own with no support so she does kind of have to maintain that but i think it's almost to a point where it's almost detrimental so i do think you know i i do think part of that is a relic of the rick berman michael pillar era of star trek i think out of all those captains i think personally cisco is probably the one that was most complex because you start with him 
you know, being very bitter. And then by the end, you know, like he is, he, he loves Bajor. Right. He yeah. holds like the prophets in such high regard. It, it's yeah. like he, he completely changes. And in some ways his role as emissary is more important than him as a Starfleet officer. You know, like he, he changes quite a bit. Yeah. But I do think that is, that, that is how DS9 was, you know, like, they had these characters like purposely evolve over time and they wanted them to change versus these other shows that are, I think, very episodic, right? They're very episodic in nature and less serialized. And I do think that part of that is to the, you know, the growth factor is due to the more episodic storytelling versus serialized storytelling. Okay. I mean, that yeah. makes sense. It totally does. I mean, it's yeah. a serial and the fact that it, they're going from one end of the galaxy to the other but that and that's the overriding theme but it you know it is very much a week to week episode driven series yeah. and yeah so i can kind of see so i mean so if we flash forward from that lesson i'm hoping that we'll still see character development on strange new worlds when that comes out because that's going back to an episodic thing and actually yeah, how big, do you how do you feel about that by the way like, I, I'm I'm fine with that. I mean, I think exploring new worlds and meeting new aliens. I think they've got a lot of great opportunity there to create new aliens and do that sort of thing. So I'm excited about that. I I think I share with other people that I've listened to the concern that we go like the amnesia factor, which you know, uh, that's what I'm worried about. Which I, I'm hoping that these I, I'm hoping that writing and I'm hoping that storytelling in the 2020s has evolved to the point where it's not amnesia the week. It's, right. you know, it's like some serious trauma happened and, Oh, it never happened. We almost we kind of forgot about it. Yeah. Like yeah, if you get hurt, you're, if you get hurt, you're still limping the next week, you know, that sort of thing. I think that that, that I'm hoping that that'll be more, um, they'll be more aware of that. So that's my concern about that. Looking at it now through that perspective of, you know, even though it's week to week and a episodic driven, you know, there, I still think that an overarching arc, not unlike Voyager where they're trying to get back to, to earth. Um, you know, I hope that, that, that the writers of strange new worlds will kind of be aware of that and keep the character development going forward. Yeah, I do think that um, since we last recorded, I do think Alex Kurtzman had an interview where he talked about that a little more in depth. And he did say that he's looking, you know, while it is more, it's going to be more episodic, he's looking for serialized character storytelling. So hopefully that means that you have these overarching storylines for these characters and you see them evolve and grow, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Even though, you know, it might be planet of the week or, you know, right, exactly. alien of the week or... Yeah temporal anomaly of the week or whatever right exactly so um so yeah so that's kind of my observations the only other observation i have really is around um jerry ryan and how well she plays seven in these early days yes um really like from from a child like like a angry borg to a child like perspective Mm -hmm. to uh you know just this growth and development and you know uh, that's 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 actually the character that not only did they bring around for sex appeal i think that that's the actual character that they showed development of probably the most in yeah in voyager uh i would say her and probably the doctor have the best yeah. character arcs if, yeah if we're talking about character development and growth 
they probably grow and change the most over you yeah. know, seven seasons. Seven seasons, yeah. Well, I everyone mean, else just... is pretty like Tom Paris, like whatever. <laughs> like he doesn't change like over no, seven. No, he years. doesn't. He, you know, he's yeah. definitely. He's. I mean, I, I haven't gone back and watched the early seasons of Voyager again, but uh, but yeah, he's pretty much the same. Yeah. Same rule breaking, like. Uh, especially on that um, on the episode right before Year of Hell, where they're being operated on scientific method, there um, he's transporting into these little into this little thing, bringing her flowers and like sneak Belana. This is like yeah. that was the start of their relationship, I guess. Um, so was that that episode? So it's just kind of interesting to see, like, oh, he's still that kind of rogue, like very much like not to cross the streams so to speak but uh very much a han solo like roguish type person rules are right but he mellows out by the end because then he and balana kind of you know yeah the relationship she gets she's pregnant like right yeah he has more responsibility so he does kind of mellow out by the end but he doesn't really change like he doesn't change yeah no so uh you're right i guess i guess that as i'm watching going back and watching some voyager i think i've got to remember to focus on the characters of seven and and the doctor who do change because yeah no they're the probably, I, I personally think that Doctor, the Doctor and Seven are the like, best characters. Yeah. No, that's a good... Yeah, so I'm enjoying that, and I'm going to... You know, I'm picking and choosing which episodes interested me. Obviously, I skipped quite a few in the early part of season um, to, like, Day of Honor and a few others before. Oh, I did watch The Raven, too, so sorry. I did. I watched eight episodes oh. of Voyager. Oh, that's a very Seven episode. Yeah, so obviously I wanted to see that, and I thought that was quite interesting, although... Well, that was the one where they, like, flash back to when she was a kid. Assimilated, yeah. Her parents were assimilated, okay. Yeah, yeah, so that was a good Seven story. Um, the piece that I'm seeing through all kinds of parts of this is, like, the Leonardo da Vinci story. Oh my like, god, he's he's my big Fontaine of Voyager. Ah, uh, yes, I yes, him. yeah, yeah. I, I agree. can't stand Big Fontaine. Every DS9 episode that has Big Fontaine, I'm like, get me out of here. And every episode, I mean, I don't Leonardo feel the same da Vinci way. Was a, there was a lot of Leonardo da Vinci in Scorpion, and I was like, I yeah. do not need this right now. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't either. But I do like Vic Fontaine as a side note. Um, but you, I know you do not. I, I can't. So I watched eight episodes of, of Voyager, which is probably the most. Hey, this is like your uh, Voyager Renaissance. It is. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, I'm I'm gonna start rewatching. I think all of Enterprise. So. Yeah, I mean, so the only other thing Star Trek that I've been doing is I've been working my way through David Mack's book, which um, still eludes me as to remembering the name. His latest one from Star Trek 2009 more beautiful than I mean, you've, death. Been, you've been listening to it and you don't even remember the name of it yeah i mean well how often because it's actually a very complicated title i mean more beautiful than death it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue or um it's, sometimes these uh new episode names like especially on discovery i'm like get me out of here oh, or, yeah, even picard yeah. i'm like okay okay yeah. why so yeah, complicated right why so complicated yeah um so yeah uh it's uh it's getting better now. I, there was a part where I was actually... The book's like, getting better. The book is getting better, yes. Yeah. So there was actually a part where um, where I was kind of getting really bored and, and frustrated and kind of want, almost wanted to give up on listening to it, but I, I continued to, to work through it. I don't think that, at least in this book, I don't 
I'm having trouble imagining the characters like I did in Dayton Ward's book. So I think Dayton captured the voice and the, the, um, the demeanor of Kirk Spock or her, or all mm-hmm. of them uh, a lot better. And, and David Mack's a great writer. So that's not necessarily, you know, he wrote this 10 years ago. Uh, I like his more recent stuff. You know, this was early days. This is based on one movie, two hours worth of, of filming. And um, so it's not, you know, of course it's not perfect, but I, I'm having trouble hearing the voices of the characters in my head as, as, um, as the narrator is kind of reading them. So that's my struggle. Um, mm. Also, there's a huge focus on the secondary character, which I alluded to. You before. mentioned that last time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which a revelation has now made that make a lot more sense, which I think is actually on David's part, really brilliant. Um, but uh, again, I'm still struggling with the, um, the voicing of the mm. characters to some extent. So, but I'm uh, I'm almost finished. Actually, I'm I'm mere. Okay. I've got a mere 24 minutes left of the. Oh book. yeah, you're so, done. Yeah, I'm essentially done. And then uh, and then inspired by my Voyager watch, I actually <laughs> made. So there's only two Audible books that are Voyager related right now. So I may go back and listen to, um, to the first one. Uh, the second one actually doesn't come out until later this fall. Um, but they're both written by um, the showrunner, Christine Bayer. Oh, yeah. Um, she's a huge Voyager nerd. Yeah. she. I mean, she pretty much... And she I also... She's on the right step of Picard. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah, she is. Yeah. So she... Uh, and she's been, I think, the primary, if not the only writer for the Voyager, post-Voyager finale novels. So... Um, but only two of them, or only one of them is on um, Audible. Uh, on Audible. So I may go back and listen to that one because there's another one coming out in October, November. So um, I may may give it a shot. We'll see. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, uh, yeah, there's not, but there's nothing else in between now and then, which is, uh, unless I'm mis- forgetting something, there's no new Discovery novels coming out. Or that have been announced. There's no new Picard novels that have been announced or coming out. So um, that's also why I'm one, you know, thinking. Well, maybe I should let's give Voyager a listen and see if I enjoy the books. Yeah, um, but there are a lot of books yeah. that lead up to this. So I, I'm also afraid that jumping in at this point, I'll be missing something, which I did with the earlier Next Generation book called Collateral Damage, which was well after the finale and after nemesis um and i actually didn't feel left out of that book so um collateral collateral damage did a nice job i actually want to say that that was also dayton ward um but i'm not entirely sure i mean i will have to say that the, the thing that's hard about some of these novels is that there's no consistent mythology to them they try right. to do that a little bit with the Destiny series and then the, what was it, the Titan series after that or something like that? Like yeah. There was, yeah there was, so there was a narrow, like they tried to keep some sort of consistent narrow through a line, but not all of these novels stick to that. So it's very, it's honestly very confusing, you know, because it's basically just fan fiction. Like, you know, at, at a certain point, it's just fan fiction. And it's like, right. none of it is canon. It's like, you know, Right. At some point, it's like, what am I reading this for? Right. And, you know, what 
you know, what history do I need to know here? Well, there's um, a whole yeah. map online of all of these novels that came out after the shows ended, basically in 2005, six. There's this whole map of all the books that you can go online and kind of follow, like in what order to read them. Uh, but interestingly enough, Collateral Damage was by David Mack. So he actually did a great job in that novel of making me feel like I wasn't missing anything mm. because I didn't read the books up till then. Okay. Um, so I, so I, although I'm not necessarily enjoying his voicing of the 2009 crew in this book that I'm reading now, uh, More Beautiful Than Death, um, he did do a great job in collateral damage, especially yeah. for me just picking up a next generation book mm-hmm. and out of the blue, um, like you said, within a mythology that came after the television shows. Yeah. So, so yeah, but there, other than the Voyager book, I don't know that there's anything new coming out from Simon and Schuster from the start from Star Trek. So I'm a little concerned uh, about what I'm going to be listening to this fall. Although we have 23 mm-hmm. weeks of 20 more weeks of Star Trek on TV, which is great. There are also non Star Trek books out there. If you want, there are, and I do, do <laughs> I do listen to some other books as well for various, you know, self-development and things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but uh, I do enjoy, you know, this is one of the things we've talked about before, maybe not in an episode that's been released yet, but we've talked a little bit about how Star Trek is a nice escape, right? It's a nice, uh, especially during these times, it's always nice to kind of pick pick up the TV show, an old TV show, pick up a right. book. It's like comfort food. It's exactly. So that's also why I'm like, like the audiobooks is because it's, it's comfort food that I can take with me on the go. Cause I can't walk down the street or go, you know, for a run and, or do whatever, walk around the city and be watching a TV show. So it gives me an outlet to listen to Star Trek. So uh, that's a value to, um, to me as a, as a viewer and why I enjoy it and why, you know, I think there might be one other book coming out in the fall, but, uh, two books, one of them Voyager, which I have not listened to previously. Um, so I'm not really, I'm a little nervous about uh, what I'm going to listen to this fall. So if uh, if Simon Schuster editors are listening, uh, okay. <laughs> can we get, I can mean, we get some more books? There are plenty of books you can go back to. Like there's so many other books that I'm sure you have not read out of all the Sergeant novels have been published. I don't know how many of them are audible though. I think right. Not, See, but... that's the thing. It's the, the audible ones. I mean, I do, I can and I have gone back and listened to. I could go back and listen to the vo- uh, Discovery ones because they provide a nice tapestry of where characters were before Discovery. So that's always good. Um, so yeah. Um, but yeah. So that's uh, that's what I've been Star Trekking. That's what you've that was, been Star Trekking. That's a long segue we did we went yes. we went deep there uh for a while and uh now let's spill some track
Yeah, so today we're going to talk about two Lower Decks episodes. So our listeners are getting two for the price of one today. So we're going to be talking about episode two, Envoys, and episode three, Temporal Edict. So why don't we talk about Envoys first? So yeah, Mike, what did you think of Envoys? Envoys was enjoyable. Uh, I would say it was good overall. Uh, There were some really good moments through it. And I think the message at the end, uh, and we talked a little bit off camera about uh, Boimler's breakdown and then the resolution to that, uh, which was, or the resolution, which was orchestrated by Mariner was really, was a nice lesson. Like that's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what you kind of watch Star Trek for. So uh, that I enjoyed, but I didn't enjoy it quite as much as Second Contact. I have to say, I still enjoyed Second Contact a little bit more than I did Envoys, Um, but it was still very good. Um, I thought it was interesting that there are some funny moments with, obviously it was very heavily a, uh, well, no, it was split. There, one thing I do like about this, it's true. And we kind of focus on, there are four characters and mm-hmm. they're in all the episodes. I mean, obviously there's only three episodes, but we, in this episode, you see Mariner and Boimler on an away mission. And then you see Tendi uh, wanting to hang out with Rutherford and Rutherford going through all of these great, um experiences to check yeah. out other divisions because he spends all of his time in the um jeffrey's tubes so um that was a fun little adventure romp through the store you get to uh, romp through this ship and uh you got to see the senior officers kind of interact with them which was good um but uh, yeah i thought it was overall good um, I still rated Second Contact higher, in my personal opinion, uh, as mm-hmm. a just as a story. But uh, what did you think about Envoys? Yeah, I agree with you, and I gave you my initial reaction after watching it. I definitely think I did not think that it was as strong as the pilot, and I do think part of the reason why is because Mar- Mariner and Boimler's story was too similar to what we saw in the pilot in that you basically followed the two of them and you basically you you saw that um mariner kind of had this has kind of this like street smart kind of real world experience versus boimler's textbook experience and you see that clash and then mariner's experience ultimately win out um versus Boimler's like non-real world experience and it basically hit like a lot of the similar beats as what was hit in the pilot so I actually thought that even though their excursion on the planet was fun I do think that it had had its moments and there were there were some pretty good like easter eggs there um like Jamaharan and things like that you know like there was those easter eggs like that were cool I thought that from a narrative perspective, it was kind of going back to the same well. And as a result, it kind of weakened the episode for me. Because ultimately speaking, it kind of, you know, it, it basically was the same thing. Um, I actually did enjoy Rutherford's uh, storyline more. And I liked that he was able to kind of explore all these different divisions. 
Um, I really, I really liked uh, when he was in the holodeck with Ransom and he was going through the the command simulations and the kids were being ejected into space through this bad decision making. Like, it was just funny. Like, you know, it was like, it, you know, it, it's very, like, in terms of the humor, it's, it's just silly, it's funny, it's a little bit slapstick, you know, like, and ultimately he just realized that his calling is in engineering, you know, I thought that was great. And I thought that uh, even though those were, it was, it was the B storyline in that it was like really quick, you know, really quick takes. Um, I actually liked that more than the A storyline. So yeah, like, you know, I thought that there were some really, again, some really cool call outs. Like I, I loved Boimler's meltdown when he's just talking about how he's gonna get shipped out and they're gonna find his like final shaky video logs and they're gonna try to piece together what happened to him. Like all those things, that, that was yeah, funny, that was you know, great. and yeah. really good, like, you know, like it, it's like jabbing at, you know, these like Star Trek tropes in a funny way, as was Rutherford's, uh, you know, journey through di these different divisions. Like how do you just, you know, go to like a science division versus like uh, engineering division of security, you know, yeah. happen, but. It's I was like, really, I was really happy to see how all the senior officers treated him. Yeah, no, I like uh, that too. You know, that I thought that was a really good message, and I know that there was some talk about the first episode and the characterization of the senior officers, and I, I think that you know, for the most part, they were really redeemed in this episode to some extent about how, and, and it speaks to the character of Rutherford too, uh, being so uh so well liked because he's such a hard worker and just a nice all-around guy that um that they are happy to help him move on to whatever is his, in his best interest uh, yeah and, i love and that too you know yeah. so um you know the dramatic way that they always would pause and give that dark like yeah dark like dark in the background yeah the, uh, i thought was really uh was funny uh in a very uh, standard kind of cartoony way but um but the reaction for both uh security and for engineering was uh was really super supportive and i thought that, that was really great and you know that's exactly what you kind of want to see that's like the hopeful like really well-run starfleet piece of all of this that i think people um like to see especially after the first episode and people thinking that the the senior officers were just kind of you know um lame kind of like idiots yeah, yeah yeah so um yeah any uh any favorite quotes i know that we we've talked about a few of them but you did like the the meltdown anything else that kind of stood out for you in uh, in terms of like quotes or scenes that you really um i mean my favorite was definitely when rutherford was doing the command simulations and they're like the kindergartners are being sucked out into space and oh no now it's the pre-k it's just that was really funny yeah that was my favorite because you know me and children don't get along <laughs> right Not that i wanted want them to be sucked into space but i thought right. it was. and then ransom was like let's try again but with more children and that was just funny because it just uh it it reminds us of like why the Enterprise D has so many kids on it. Like we get that it's a flagship, but uh, there are way too many children on the ship, you know? 
I mean, family, keeping families together, right? So, um, yeah, so there's that. Uh, one of my favorite was the Smorgasbord. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is great. Uh, which is great. Um, you know, I'm trying to think. There's one other scene. Uh, I really like the ending with Tendi and Rutherford. Uh, Tendi watching the 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 star. The pulsar. Uh, the pulsar and uh, Rutherford looking at the the conduit and both kind of staring at their own areas of interest uh, with uh, wonder and amazement. And uh, I thought that was really a cute way. And and also wondering like, is there a possible romance in order for Tendi and Rutherford? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's like friend zone or if they're, you know, if they're setting something up. I mean, Tendi expressed that she wanted to spend time in Rutherford, but it could just be friend zone. I don't know. Right. And um, I think uh, she kind of joked and said, you didn't try all those jobs just for me, right? And, <laughs> she's like, and he's like, uh, uh, no. So he kind of did. He kind of did want to spend more time with her. So that's that, I think, was more indicative of, of uh, a possible romance was the fact that he went and endured that uh, because he wanted to spend more time with her so slash he didn't want to go back on his word uh because he promised right he would. yeah so, yeah exactly it's so, a lot to say yeah so i mean it was an enjoyable episode there were some definitely some good th- things uh but i agree it's a little bit of a kind of same same thing same bat channel same bat problem yeah. <laughs> oh my uh for That's mariner and boimler but uh yeah, I mean, it's uh, still, I, I was really impressed. I mean, Mariner really does like Boimler, Boimler um, and uh, she was looking out for him. So uh, I think that that was, uh, that was kind of interesting. And I also think in that scene where he's breaking down, she's actually really concerned and is yeah. worried. Like, which kind of, you know, she's all action a lot of times, but you kind of see that she's like, Oh crap! Like, what? What did I just do? What just happened? Um, and so she makes it up, which was mm-hmm. really uh, amazing. Um, I think it's also funny, and the the thing he says of, uh, to her, "You and I are the same age. When did you have time to do all that <laughs> stuff yeah. with the Klingon? You know, with the yeah. Klingon." So, um, you know, I think that there's some. Um, I mean, obviously, she said she served on five starships, I think, already. Um, so she's bounced around a lot, but... And she's been to, like... And this is also in the pilot, but she's been to, like, many more planets than him. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think uh, it's interesting if they're the same age and she was demoted. She was already a lieutenant and had already served on five ships. I think that that's... a there's something there's a little math problem there somewhere uh, yeah i don't yeah i i I don't know at some point they're gonna get into it did she like just speed through starfleet academy i don't know right did she start young because her parents are an admiral and uh and a captain who knows um so and that's uh, also curious like i do want to understand if does everyone just do people not know that she's the captain's daughter because you know, the way that it was revealed to us in the pilot was like, it's not common knowledge. But I I don't see how that is possible in that day and age to not know someone is related to someone. Like, that's curious to me. 
Um, but at the same time, it's not explicitly said that people don't know. Um, so I am like a little bit like that hasn't really been explored. Um, I think uh, I the, obviously the first officer does because he's like thinking that she's hot um, at the end of the next episode, right? Um, uh-huh. Which we're going to get to in a minute. Uh, we'll talk about more about that later. But yeah, I, I do wonder um, how well known it is if she is in fact the captain's daughter. I mean, we yeah. do get to see it. There have been a previews of a scene where she and her mom are arguing and she gives her the... But Mariner gives Captain Freeman the Vulcan salute and says, peace out. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I kind of wonder uh, about that. So, well, I guess we'll find out more. But I don't I don't know that the Lower Deckers know that she is the captain's daughter. I just, don't, I just don't understand how that can right. not be known. Uh, yeah, you know, may, people make assumptions based on last name or whatever. So, I guess. Maybe. Um you know so well sounds like we both enjoyed it we didn't enjoy it quite as much as second contact but uh how about we move on to the third episode yeah should we rate this one do you want to give this one a grade sure do you remember what grade we gave the last episode well i so i gave second contact a nine I think. Okay, and I gave it a 9.5 so yeah so um, i actually would give envoys a 7.5 Okay. Um, yeah, I would probably be between seven and eight. I don't know which way I want to go. Uh, I'll go eight because I think the, the lessons that we learn in Envoys is, uh, is a good one. It are some good ones. So I think I'm going to give it an eight. Cool. All right, let's move on to Temporal Edict. Personal log. I've completed all of today's assignments ahead of schedule, and I've requested more space. The funnest frontier? Episode three of Star Trek Lower Decks. Johnson, what did you think of Temporal Temporal Edict? Yeah, so I really like this one. Um, I thought that uh, both major storylines, the one with, Mariner and Ransom on the planet, and then the one with everyone else on the ship. I thought that they were both really strong, and I thought that it was enjoyable. Um, I really liked, I mentioned this to you separately, I, I, I really like that this episode gave us um, the chance to see the Ensigns interact a lot more with the senior staff. Um, whether it be Mariner um, really having some moments of Ransom, or Boimler talking to Captain Freeman, you know, giving her a pep talk, for example. Um, I thought that that was that was great. Um, and I thought, you know, I thought the the pacing was great overall. I thought that, um, you know, where, where it comes to and and you were talking about this. The uh, the, the name of the the actual episode is is so it's spot it's on. Brilliant, yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Wow. Uh, kudos to mike mcmahon for this one i mean that is a great you you go into the episode thinking there's going to be like time travel yeah. <laughs> and it <laughs> has nothing to do with that but Absolutely it's not so brilliant how that that name works for the episode yeah and um you know obviously the whole thing with buffer time is a call back to scotty and how he you know basically buffers in all this time so that he can come across as impressive a miracle worker. Always, yeah, he, he'll yeah. always beat his deadlines. Right. Um, so this was obviously a big play on that. But then, 
the consequences of you know what happens when the captain finds out that all this time is being buffered in um and yeah i mean overall yeah it was great you know um i i do think that the that the chemistry between Mariner and Ramsom, I don't know how I feel about that yet. I mean, we'll see where that goes and this, you know, this sexual chemistry between them um, and this angst between them. I don't know. Like, it's like this, like, love-hate kind of thing. I, I, I do want to see how it evolves before, you know, actually saying, like, how I feel about it. But right now, I'm like, okay, we'll see. We'll see. Um, and uh, I do like that. Captain Freeman kind of recognized how Boimler, um was able to kind of like help her come out of her own echo chamber when it comes to being so strict with time. Um, and, you know, like she was, she was able, she was able to like uh, take his advice and apply it. And I thought that was great. And then I thought the very end of it, the very end of the episode where they go to the far future, <laughs> like that was great too. When he was like, Here's Brad Poimler with one of the great birds of the galaxy, which is obviously like a Gene Roddenberry callback. But it's like this random like bird of prey on his shoulder and he's kind of like freaking out about it. And then there's like random Miles O'Brien call out. And I was like, this is amazing. It was just a good, it's completely random, but such a good capper. Um, I, I really like that. Agreed. Yeah, that was a great capper, especially the Miles O'Brien, you know, Chief O'Brien brought a, brought into Lower Decks right there. So yeah, and of course it's like him on the transporter console. Right. TNG, from next not, TNG, yeah, you know, not from like, Deep Space Nine. Nope. Yeah. So uh, um, yeah. But yeah, overall I thought I, I really like this one. Um I'm trying to think if there's anything else about it I want to mention. But no, I, I think that's I think I pretty much talked about everything that came to mind for me what about you yeah i i've probably watched this almost as much as i've watched second contact uh, on the order of four or five times uh it's just enjoyable funny fun um you know the uh the personal log that boimler does walking down uh the corridor while everyone is freaking uh, yeah. out and he's like space the funnest frontier yeah uh, i do have to say this was a good contrast um to the previous episode because this is where he is in his element right where he's yeah by the books he can you know he can follow orders he can get he can get shit done while if you just kind of put him on a planet, he's and there's no order to things. He's not in his element. So I do right. think that this was in some ways like showcasing how he's not like completely incompetent. You know, like he he knows what to do. He just needs to be in the right environment to do it. Right. He's a hard worker. He can get stuff done. He enjoys it. Um, he's not one for just hanging out and uh, doing nothing. Um, but I love that they they introduced buffer time at the beginning. Uh, they had margaritas <laughs> after finishing. I could the, go for one right now. Yeah, I agree. Uh, mar margarita right now would be great. Um, and uh, oh, that made me think of um, well, the margaritas, but also uh, the phaser. Uh, Mariner shooting the phaser <laughs> at the brig shield. <laughs> yeah, and being like. Oh, that was that was set to stun, you know. But clearly, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, so that, I thought that was kind of hilarious. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I would say that the the both storylines in this episode were great. And it was actually, especially after seeing the first episode where the senior staff kind of overlooked Boimler's contribution to mm-hmm. to the uh, to the solution. This time he really was the solution. Yeah. Uh, so I think that this was a, a great redemption for him and a good um, good highlight of his characteristics. Uh, also, Mariner on the planet, uh, just badass. Like that that woman could, uh, especially uh, you know another favorite quote of mine is from uh, when she's surrounded by the spears and she's like surrounded by spears. Wait, am I Kirk? Is this twenty yeah. two sixties? Yeah, that was <laughs> that, that was hilarious. Uh, so yeah, um, you know the the whole exchange with her and ransom in the in the cage where she's like here's all my scars here's you know you're you play it safe mm-hmm. uh, which is a direct you know throwback to how will Riker was often perceived as playing it safe mm-hmm. um so i thought that was interesting uh and also uh what else happened in that cave other than her being stabbed in the foot which i thought was of brilliant turnaround uh in that scene but uh what did she say god uh man i can't remember she said something that uh made me laugh before the whole fight um oh before the fight yeah i don't remember anyway uh yeah it was just an enjoyable episode i would i would probably go back and watch that again uh just because it is you know, so well written from the title all the way to the characterizations. Um, I think that, uh, you know, it does, you know, it does show how great of a Starfleet officer Mariner really is. Uh, oh, and I know what it was. The, ho- the whole interaction with her and she's like, permission to speak freely. And oh, yeah. Ransom yeah. is like, you always do that. No one can shut you up. um that was hilarious so yeah um you know tendy and rutherford kind of take a back seat to this episode a little Mm. bit uh it's definitely a mariner and a boimler episode uh this time separate though which i think yeah great so i do think that that was nice that they weren't together and you know that was a change of pace and that's part of the reason why i like this one more yeah um also it's kind of uh we were on our way to cardassia Oh yeah, we that had was great a too. we had a showdown with a, a Klingon. Mm-hmm. It was it was almost like uh, Star Trek Three with the showdown with the Klingon bird of prey. Almost it was uh, it, there were some just really great call call outs to previous Trek in this episode. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. I would actually this is definitely at least for me a nine again if not uh, a little bit higher i i really enjoyed this one. Oh yeah i would give this one an 8.5 i i thought it was really good um i do think that was curious that the aliens were using like spears but obviously they're warp capable otherwise they wouldn't have been invited to the federation so i that was a little odd but i was like all right it's fine yeah, yeah. um yeah, and the whole the whole episode being caused by this whole buffer time being revoked and 
the whole reason things went badly on the planet was because they were rushing around and he put yeah. the wrong artifact on this shuttle so mm-hmm. and insulted them so i thought that that was you know well see what happens when you you know push people too far so yeah uh, yeah it was just it was, yeah this this was by far better than the epi- second episode uh definitely on par with with uh, episode one for sure yeah um, that was really good yeah so awesome Anything else cool. to add about uh, these two episodes of Lower Decks? I don't think so. Um, no, I'm like looking forward to the next one. I hopefully, to what you're saying, I, I would like to see more interaction between Captain Freeman and Mariner, and hopefully, we get a little bit more about their relationship. Um, at least that's what we see from the previews. But yeah, no. Overall, I'm still very much enjoying Lower Decks, and I think. Yeah, season one, it's a very, it, it is a very, cons- you know, I would say it's a very consistent, confident season mm-hmm. um, for season of Star Trek. And they kind of know like the tone, they want to know what they go, they, they know what they're going for rather. Um, so you, you can kind of tell by the writing that the staff, they, they have a sense, you know, of how they want the show to be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's clear that this is, uh, this is written for fans by fans. Yeah, for sure. Uh, most definitely. So very cool. Well, let's move on to our next segment. Yeah, so off topic, um, where we talk about other stuff besides Star Trek that we're watching or reading. Um, so Mike, what's on your list? You know, having watched eight episodes of Voyager, there's not a lot. There's not a lot. There's not a lot of time. Uh, Well, Dennis was watching Penny Dreadful, and you saw a few scenes here and there. I saw some scenes. Not my not your genre. Not my genre. No, it's a really good show. It's 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 really really good. Yeah, Uh, I mean, there's some good actors and actresses in there uh, for sure. But yeah, um, you know, I I think. I'm kind of over the the trope of how can we rewrite Dracula, Frankenstein, and you know all of these historical mm-hmm. characters. I'm just kind of over it. If you want to throw them in space and and do that, uh-huh. I'd, be, I'd be interested. But that sounds like a B movie waiting to happen. Uh, maybe, but uh, I feel there must be actually a Dracula in space. There has to be. Uh, probably, um, yeah. but I want it written by like Stephen Moffat or someone with uh, credible film and TV. Uh, history um so yeah no i i did not really get into penny dreadful that was part of his binging mm-hmm. um so but we are watching uh rust valley restorers which is like a it's on netflix but it's a tmc i don't know amc type show where it kind of follows this it's a it's a reality tv show which i don't watch a lot of yeah. uh, to be honest uh, about this uh, this company up called Rust Brothers up in British Columbia, Canada, um, and uh, I mean the scenery up there is beautiful. First of all, mm-hmm. so Dennis and I talked a little bit about oh, it might be nice to go to British Columbia and all right um, and see it. But uh, it's just a it's just a restoring show with a lot of stupidity at times and um, okay. Uh, but it's it's good, you know. Uh, then Dennis, so we have a rule: you can't watch if we're both watching a show. You can't watch it without me, type situation. And I don't okay. watch a 
I mean, I don't watch a lot of TV. Uh, this week was an exception. Uh, but um, so he went on to view some other like like similar genre shows about restoration and car. Okay. <laughs> so random. So, yeah. I mean, so, you know, well, you know, like once you start watching one or two things, Netflix just serves you up, like starts to yeah. link, link to your the algorithm. Yeah. So, um, but so Rust Valley Brothers, uh, Rust Brothers from Rust Valley Restorers is what the only other thing I've been watching. I'm trying to think if there's anything uh, I've been intaking as far Wait, speaking as... of reality, though, um, I mean, I don't remember when, like, in terms of timing, our last recording and when you actually watched it, but Indian Matchmaker. Oh, yeah, we watched Indian Matchmaker. It feels like... Which came watched... up in... I had brunch with some friends today, and that came, came up, up, and I was like, all right, you know what? I got to watch a show. You do and... have to watch it, yeah. It's interesting. It's only six episodes, so it's... Uh... It's Correct. not a it's it's not a huge investment. Yeah, Dennis and I did watch uh, that, but that was probably three or four weeks ago. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, it's come up in conversation quite a bit. It has, yeah. So. I mean, the characters are quite uh, memorable, and the situations are interesting. Um, it's definitely something that is, uh, I would say, is culturally awakening as far as mm. like if you didn't understand or didn't know about. Uh, Indian culture, you definitely get uh, some education. some good education in it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, there's that. Uh, but we watched that a little while ago. So yeah, I mean, we we typically have dinner together and watch one hour or so of a show, whatever we're watching. So yeah. Um, so it's not like we we it's kind of like whatever we come up with next. So right. Um, so yeah, so we're currently in Rust, Rust Brothers territory right now, uh, which season three just we're we're oh my in, God. we're in the middle of season two ish or early part of season two, uh, so and season three just came out on Netflix this. Oh wow! Friday, okay, so, I didn't realize it was that much. Yeah, so we've already gone through one episode, one season, and we're on to second. Uh, oh wow! Okay, so yeah, okay. Um, but Indian Matchmaker was before that, and that's pretty much it. I don't really have a whole lot of other off-topic. Um, you know, I think I spilled all of that in uh, in my. What did you Star Trek? I know you've mostly just been Star Trekking. Yeah, yeah. So, what about you? What have you? Uh, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on a particular show we've talked about before. Yeah. So. You know, since the last time we recorded, I started to watch the Orville. Um, and Previously, I, you had just watched the pilot when we last yeah, talked. Yeah, when, so. when we talked, yeah, the pilot. Um, wait, did I mention the Orville the last time that we recorded? Yeah, on, uh, yeah, pre, on our last episode talking about uh, okay, second Okay, you know contact. what? Time means nothing anymore, so I don't even know. So, yeah. so I'm like six, seven episodes into the season. And what are your uh, thoughts so far? And, uh, you know, I can understand why a lot of, like, traditional Star Trek diehards always, when they complain about, like, Discovery or Picard, why they're like, you know, like, oh, yeah, like, the Orville is so much more Star Trek than these shows. I understand what they mean, but I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, I think that the thing about the Orville in my opinion, is that it is an homage to the original series and the next generation, but 
it's an homage to the point where it is just straight up ripping it off. Like, you know, like it's, if Seth MacFarlane wasn't such a big Star Trek nerd, I'd be like, this is like, like this is straight up just ripping off Star Trek, you know? But because he kind of prefaced it with, this is an homage to Star Trek and I love Star Trek and what it is, he, you know, he gets a pass. Um, because like, there are straight up situations in episode, like the second episode of the Orville, um, Seth MacFarlane's character, Ed Mercer, and Adrian Pilecki's character, Kelly Grayson, they get stuck in a zoo. Like, they basically get captured by this alien race, and they get put in a cage. And I'm like, okay. Like, this is, like, straight up, they didn't call it the menagerie slash the cage, but this is straight up the cage, you know? And obviously, there's a more comical bend to it, but I'm like, okay, you know, like, and if I did not know that this was, again, an homage, I'll be like, all right, they're just like, you know, this is straight up plagiarism. Um, but to be fair, they were really put in a zoo. They're on display. They're, the difference is, I mean, I get the whole reference to the cage and the menagerie and everything, but mm-hmm. they are actually, there are people walking through looking at them that are, like they're in a zoo, right? But that's what the that's what the menagerie is. The menagerie is a zoo, you know. But only for the Telosians. It's not even for anybody. But else. it was for these aliens. Like these aliens are based. It's like this. So what it was was this al- This one alien race kind of um, looks down on all other alien races that aren't as technologically uh, okay. advanced. So okay. there's this one alien race that it, it was their zoo. You know, Got it. Okay. they even like kind of looked like the Telosians, like big foreheads or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I I can see why like these again these diehards love the Orville so much because it is these very episodic mm-hmm. episodes, sometimes just straight up like you know moral quandaries that are out of traditional TOS TNG episodes, um, and it's like the story beats are very similar. Um, I don't personally think, at least from what I've seen in the first season, it really has pushed the envelopes of sci-fi. You know, like it is very much a retread with a comical bend. Um, You know, like that honestly is very familiar, you know? And I think in that way, it is that you know, comfort food angle that maybe a lot of these more traditional Star Trek fans are looking for and that Discovery and Picard don't deliver. And if that's the kind of Star Trek you want, you know, you know, watch the Orville, rewatch TNG, you know. Um, I think Star Trek has changed with the times. Like, you know, there's darker characters. There's more of a moral, like, gray area, um, more serious storytelling. It's different, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, you know, like I, so I like it. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying it for what it is. But um, at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of like, this is a, like, in some ways, like almost too familiar, you know? And it's inter- there are interesting setups. They're like, you know, this, this one character, um, Commander Bortsu or Bordis or Bordis, whatever. Bordis, yes. Bordis, yeah. Bordis. You know, he, he is from uh, 
his background is that he's part of an all male species. Right. And then in the third, second, third episode, he and his mate, who's also male, they have a child, and then the child is female. So it turns out that there are actually females in this race. It's just that it's not okay to be female. So there's like these like, and I'm like, well, that's kind of a retread. If we want to talk about it, that's a retread of the outcast from TNG. You know, like there's like these things that's like, they're, they're interesting, but I don't know if they necessarily cover new ground. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm okay with it. Like, I think it's fine. Um, I, I think it's enjoyable. It's, it's easy to hop in, hop out. Um, I'm in the middle of one episode, you know, like, but I didn't have to like watch the whole thing, but I'll go back to it. Um, yeah, you know, like, so that is my, and who knows, because there's two seasons of it, it, it might change, but that's my current um, thinking of the Orville from the six or seven episodes that I've seen. So, so yeah, so that's the Orville. So I'm yeah. still going through that. And then the other thing that I'm doing is I have finally started to play Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is um, a Switch game. It's a Nintendo Switch game. It came out a few years ago. It, it, was, it basically was one of the launch games, maybe like a year or two after the Switch launched. Um, and it's been heralded as a masterpiece of the last four or five years of video games. Um, and you have played a little bit. I, I, I know you're not a gamer, but we talked about it a little bit. You, you played the original Zelda for... I did the play NES. the original, right? I did. I did right. play Link before, so yes. yes. So you play the original Zelda, um, and uh, you know the the formula for Zelda has not changed. You know, Link is not a complex character. He doesn't have like a dark background with a lot of baggage. You know, he doesn't really have anything to say. So it's not really about the character of Link. Like you are Link, right? Um, but you are on this journey to save Hyrule, and Princess Zelda kind of factors into that somehow. Um, and, uh, you know, you basically go dungeon by dungeon, you open things up, you like get hearts or whatever, you gain new abilities, et cetera, et cetera. The difference about this particular game is that it is an open world game. So you can, I think you can basically do whatever you want. Like you can, I think you might be able to, if you want to, if you want to go and fight Ganon right at the start of the game. You know, but it's not recommended, but it's like this, like you have this option. If you want to, you can, but they recommend that you like do all those other things, all these side quests and like, you know, get all these abilities before you do that. But the world is open to you. You have like general directions and general tasks. Um, but overall, there's like this open world structure where, you know, it's your, it's your oyster. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, I think that my tastes in gaming have changed over the years where, um, and I don't know when you stopped playing video games, but video games have become much more, um, in many ways, much more cinematic, right? You have like, they're much more complex stories. Um, not, and the games themselves are comp more complex in terms of gameplay, in terms of actually how you're interacting with the world but you also have much more like these richer storylines. It's not just like Mike Tyson's punch out and you're just like little Mac and you have to like win, right? There's now these stories where it's like really complicated. You're, you know, there's a lot of character development. 
Um, I mentioned this game before, but The Last of Us is actually a great example where it's a kind of a zombie survival game, but you, um, you, you basically see the characters evolve over time. You see the relationships evolve. You're playing the characters, but um, you're really... The, you're playing as the characters rather you are rather than you are the character in the link example um so i think that my tastes have changed for gaming where i kind of need like a strong narrative and in love like i really love dark dark like dark dark storylines um like complex characters dark storylines um people are dying and high risks you know like all these things um so when I'm playing Zelda and I'm like in a dungeon and I'm like, oh my God, like I need to spend like, you know, an hour like trying to figure out like this. Usually these dungeons in Zelda, like which hasn't really changed over the years, in essence, they're just like, they're big brain teasers, right? Like you need to like go to this room and like unlock this puzzle in order to unlock this other thing, this other room. And then you kind of, and then you find a boss, right? Um, that formula has not changed. I think with the 3D era of games, like it's a little bit different because now you have to, you have to go to the second floor in order to see something on the first floor. And like, you have to like figure this out. And like, I'm like, I don't have the patience for this. Like I, like, you know, like I, I don't have the patience to sit here and figure out this puzzle. Um, I just want to play this game. Um, even though the puzzle is the game. So I think that I'm just like my, uh, my uh, attention span and my tastes have changed a little bit when it comes to this stuff. Um, so now I'm like, I've probably played around like 10 hours of Zelda and I'm like, you know, some people in the meantime have played over a hundred hours of this game. And I'm like, mm, should I just rewatch Enterprise instead? Like, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's, so those are the two things that I'm doing that are off topic. I'm, re I'm watching the Orville for the first time. Uh, and I'm playing Zelda Breath of the Wild. So, there. yes. So that's There we go. Time. Yep. Well, uh, I think maybe it's time for us to go talk to Deanna for a little while. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds good. All right, let's go dish with Deanna. Come in. Hi. You got a minute? Sure. What is going on with you, Mike? How's your personal life? How how are things in Hell's Kitchen and you know, your relationship? Yeah, I think uh, this week's been interesting, mainly because I, I did watch a lot of Star Trek, and I'm thinking like it felt like an off week for me. So, and I don't know exactly why. And Dennis and I have talked a little bit about why we've that we felt off, but we don't know why. Um, Maybe it's a little bit of cabin fever. Maybe it's, you know, missing, going on vacation, various different things, I think, kind of all contribute to that. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I think that that's part of the reason why I've deep dived into Voyager or to Star Trek in general is just mm -hmm. to kind of give my mind something to, like, relax it a little bit. Um, although, you know, it's been a long time since I've seen these episodes, so it's, uh, it's also... Uh, it's, you know, it's also re rediscovering them. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I think it's just, I think maybe things are are just status quo, status quo, yeah. Status quo here. Um, that's a throwback to the Raven. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, from, uh, from Seven of Nine's ship uh, that she grew up on. 
uh, yeah, I just think that it's, um, it's summer, it's hot, it's, um, you know, it's the already the end of August, right? Or getting towards the end of August, which seems mind blowing. Yeah. Um, that so much time has so quickly disappeared. Um, and that we're in six months of this at this point, almost, I want to say, I don't even know. Now I've lost track. So I think, uh, yeah, things, are, things right. are, you know, things are, are good. I got out this week and had dinner with one of my friends. So that was good. Um, you know, so that was really a great catch up and, you know, great to share what's going on with and my friend, Gary, who I've, I, you've met before mm-hmm. at dinner with him this week. Um, so it was just uh, good to get out of the house and have dinner outside and chat and just have a different change of scenery. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a, you know, if, if one thing about 2020 is true is that it feels like uh, it's, it's kind of the same ride over and over again. You know, you just kind of go through phases where it's, you're fine and things are good. And then you go through times when you're like, ah, this sucks. Like this is, you know, you get bored, you get, it just, you lose track of time. You need a distraction. So uh, yeah, I would say, um, you know, and obviously there are a lot of news headlines right now that are very stressful and demanding and uh, you know, so there's also that I think. And that's, that's also what I worry about as we move into the fall and an election coming up and things like that, that the news is just going to get, more and more overwhelming and you know i think that uh figuring out a a way to both limit that and to control how much you're taking in is important which is also why i'm happy that there's star trek especially new star trek to kind of fall back on um as kind of a break in that uh break in that uh experience of of living in these times in the real world yeah, I mean, you know, this the real world is a confu- it's a confusing place right now. There's a lot going on, way, way lot more going on. As you adjust yourself so that the light is Yeah, I'm like this lighting's better. <laughs> For our listeners that can't see me. It's like, yeah, it's it's Johnson just it's adjusted the the camera so that there was a little more light from his yeah. window on him. I and... just didn't I, the lighting was not serving me before. <laughs> so for all of our audio listeners. I mean, I I can tell them that the lighting was bad. There we go. Yeah. Um so yeah, so that's uh, sort of my week. Uh what about you? How are you doing? Anything uh... Yeah, I think I'm doing okay overall. I do think I am feeling a little more of what you're talking about. Um, whether it is a combination of how things are going at work and the news um, and just just general, I would say it's kind of like, where is this all going? Slash, where are we going to end up? Where am I going to end up? You know, like there are these larger overarching um, unknowns. And I'm definitely the type that I, I... I'd like to kind of have an idea of the destination, but I do think that right now, because there's so much uncertainty, um, I just try to, I've been trying to take things day by day. Um, 
but uh, it's been that way for like you're saying like five, six months. And I'm like, when will things get back into a groove where we can legitimately have longer term things to look forward to? Because right now, like longer term planning, I think is difficult. Um, there is just too much uncertainty to make any long term plans. And I, I'm just like, yeah, what's next? You know, what, um, like, where's this all leading? Um, how are things going to look in, not, not just next year, but in next month, you know? So I, I do feel a little bit more of that um, overall. And I think that I'm trying to focus a little bit more on no understanding and accepting like the things that I can't control and then kind of enjoying the things that I can control, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and whether it's that, you know, small meetups with friends or my, my aquarium or my plant projects or what, or, you know, Star Trek I'm consuming, like things like that, that I can control those like small things that um, I can look forward to. Uh, focusing more on that. Um, so I think that that is where I'm trying to, um, you know, like in terms of my mindset, where I'm trying to kind of align myself. And then also um, just being kind of grateful for the things I do have, right? I, I think that um, it's very easy to focus on the things that we don't have and focus on um, what we can't control. But it's very hard to be in a mindset to be grateful for what we have, whether it is our health, whether it is the health of our friends, um, having like a stable income, like things like that, where I think for a lot of people, honestly, that isn't something that they can fall back on. Um, there are definitely no people that have been affected by COVID substantially more than I have, whether it be their work or their personal lives or they, they've had friends pass away because of it. Um, so, and not to say that, that none of that can happen to either of us, but I do think that for the moment, being able to kind of be grateful for where we are right now, um, I think is an important mindset to have. So, yeah, like I think that um, overall that's where I'm trying to like just align and um, align my mind and kind of shift my paradigm to be one of kind of having more gratitude and kind of in both what I have and what um, I do have to look forward to versus what I can't control and what is what, you know, what I'm quote unquote missing. Right. So so yeah, that, that's, I think, where I am overall. Um, no additional dates since the last one I was on. I'm okay with that, though. Um, I'm still kind of just, you know. But uh, as we talked about last night, you're still conversing with people. It's just, you know, things, you know, things haven't clicked or moved forward past the general chatting, swiping right type situation. So right. You're yeah. Still, you're still out there. You're still... Um, it's not, it's not like you're not doing anything. It's just things aren't, haven't progressed beyond a swipe and maybe a hi, really, right? Yeah. So sometimes it's like, hi, and then I say hi back, and then there's nothing. I'm like, okay, why don't you just hi, say hi to me? 
Um, but yes, you know, um, just kind of keeping open, you know, um, being just welcoming to opportunities, quote unquote opportunities, and you know, just taking it from there. We'll see. Yeah. Well, that's good. I think that that's not a not an unwise tactic, and I think what we're both feeling are probably is probably being felt by a lot of people. Uh, yeah, you know? yeah, for and, sure. And I think you're right about the gratitude. Having a gratitude practice is proven to make people happier or to feel happier overall, um, despite their circumstances or yeah. despite the And it the takes world. work, you know, it takes work because I think very yeah. naturally speaking, all of us kind of focus on what we don't have and focus on, I, I would say like focus not only not what we don't have, but also on, um, oh, if I, if I could only have this or I could only have that. And right. Yeah, what we're missing out on this, you know, FOMO is a perfect example, right, of this idea of like missing out, right, versus focusing on, you know, what we have. I think that takes it, it takes discipline and practice to kind of have a kind of mindset. Yeah, absolutely. It's not something that cultivates itself overnight. It's definitely, you know, in my in the past and when i've done life coaching i i think it's definitely something that it, it takes practice it takes time it's not uh it's not instantaneous but if you develop a practice a daily ritual or a daily way of doing that um overall you're going to feel happier about life in general so um as humans we look for we look for problems. We look for what we're lacking, and uh, it's a perfect combat to to that to appreciate what we do have, appreciate who we have, and uh, just you know continue. You know, it's not a it's not an end all be all solution, but it does improve your me overall mental well being. Yeah. So, and as times get more stressful or less, you know, stressful than that can improve your overall health and well-being so yeah yeah cool so there we go so i think that does it for this week's episode unless did you have anything else no i think we're good uh okay. we just okay. want to remind people to subscribe if you haven't already uh leave us a review you can also reach us uh via email at deepspacepride at gmail.com. And where can they find us on the internet, Johnson? Yeah, they can also find us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. We're at deepspacepride. And you can always send us a message or DM us and we'll try to respond. Yeah. So thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you again next time. Bye, everyone. Space Pride is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.
くね！